Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Uh, This morning we're going to wind down our uh, walk through the book of Hebrews, and uh, I just have one passage of scripture uh, to share that I want us to read together. Yay, nobody clapped. Okay, cool. Um, one, pas- <laughs> one passage of scripture. It doesn't mean we're leaving early. One passage of scripture. We're going to read it together, but before I get to that, there's a couple of other passages I, I just want to talk about. Uh, but before I even get to that, let me just summarize what we've been talking about through the book of Hebrews. Uh, we started off uh, talking about the fact that Jesus is God's selfie. Um, if you've if you don't know what a selfie is, you can Google it. It's like taking a picture of yourself. Although I don't think Jesus would make that song, Let Me Take a Selfie. But don't Google that song. It's literally, the, Let Me Take a Selfie. But uh, Jesus, if you're looking to see like the reflection or the picture of who God is, it's in Jesus Christ, is what the author of Hebrews tells us. And he tells us that Jesus is better than um, like a taste test. He's better than Moses. He's better than any traditional, organized, religious structure. He's better than any priest. He's better than anything that you you can imagine. Uh, And then he kind of emphasizes the fact that um, we are in danger or we're putting people in danger if we're not sharing the gospel. Uh, Their very salvation is in danger if we're not telling them. And that doesn't mean we go beat people over the head with the Bible, but as as God opens doors, opens doors for us and allows an opportunity, uh, we first, in my opinion, first and foremost, invite people into your life, get to know them. And as you do, then you can share. Here's, you know, here's who God is to me. Here's uh, where I stand. And last week we talked about the fact that um, we are chosen. We are a royal priesthood that God chose to be his priest. And now uh, the role of a priest is one to um, intervene between the people and God. And so we are to go to those people that are lost and kind of intervene and to direct them towards God, not towards us. The priest would also offer sacrifices uh, for forgiveness. We don't do that. Don't kill anyone. We go and we tell them that Jesus was the eternal sacrifice and that now forgiveness of sins is available to them. Uh, And then the role of the priest was also a lifetime role. So this is what we are supposed to do with our entire lives. We should never stop telling people that there is a God who loves them, that he poured out his blessings upon them uh, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that his love is available to them freely. So uh, that is, we're, we're, and we're chosen to do that. God specifically chose us. It's not a, uh, uh, like an accident that we ended up as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're not there yet, this is what God expects of you once you do step across the line of faith. Uh, and the whole book of Hebrews, we started off saying, can be summarized this way. The author is kind of summarizing, um, and the whole book of Hebrews was written to show how people were, back then, and are, all of us today, still applies, missing out on the life with Christ, if we haven't stepped across that line of faith, and how a life with Christ far exceeds one, one's cultural view of what constitutes a full life. And it's great that some people will say, hey, money is a full life, or success is a full life. Those things come and go, 
But what Christ is offering us when we enter into a relationship with him is for eternity. It's for eternity. So let me, let me shift gears and ask this question and uh, kind of get us in a place where we can understand where we're about to go. Um, how many of you have ever uh, been in charge of a project or a task at work or at home for your family, anything? Okay. All right. Now, uh, depending upon what the project or task were, sometimes you're put in charge and you get to tell other people what to do. I like that. Other times... You're put in charge, and they all do stuff, and the final piece depends on you. Like, you have to take all these pieces and connect them together into the final project. For some people, that's a lot of pressure, okay? It's a lot of uh, pressure and a lot of weight that everything depends on you. And I don't know if maybe family-wise, work-wise, or whatever, if you've ever been in a position where everyone's looking to you to accomplish something or to do something, uh, sometimes it can make you nervous. It can make you miss a step. It can make you just mess up. Okay? Uh, And let me share this with you. Uh, The first job I ever had was at Paco's Tacos. See, Christy's the only one that laughs at that name. No one else really thinks it's funny. Okay, first job, Paco's Tacos, I was 14. Now, that was my first legitimate job. The job I had, I think it was a couple of weeks or a couple of months before that, uh, was at a steak pub called Cookies. I don't think they exist anymore. Um, And it was different. So if you can imagine, I was living in New York. If you can imagine, um, it was like an a Outback Steakhouse or any steakhouse. You can imagine a steakhouse on the top of a mall where the whole top round area of the mall is this restaurant. And so this is in New York. So it was kind of packed all the time. And I was 14, and a friend of mine said, hey, they're hiring at Cookies. I'm like, oh, what, what, you know, what can I do at a place like that? We went, and they hired us to wash dishes. Now, just think about it, parents. Your 14-year-old washing dishes in an extremely busy restaurant. And I was with grown men who knew what they were doing. I did not. And who were like, we need the next dish, this, that, that. And plus, I'm 14. I mean, they had a machine, so I'm not like washing. I broke so many dishes. I don't know why they didn't charge me. But... um, because they're coming out of the machine hot, and there was a, a process. They come out hot. You had to move them to something else, and the rack they came out in was big plastic rack. It was hot, and it was heavy. So I dropped several plates. I dropped several racks. They still didn't fire us. Actually, they fired us three days later, I think three or four days later, because we were underage. We weren't supposed to, We were working there illegally. They didn't even pay us which I don't think they could, or maybe they could. I don't know. We didn't get any money for it. I did eat steak every day for like three or four days, though. So that was the good part. But I was scared to death. Every night I went home rattled because these guys were like, hey, you got to get this, you got to get that. Come on, come on, come on. And they was like, for me, it was like all this pressure to wash a stupid dish. And I'm like, uh, just give, it's just a dish. And they're like, no, because if you don't do this, then that part is held up, and then that part is held up, and then they don't. And it's, like, busy. They only had, you know, so many dishes, and they, they, were, they were constantly going out. But for me, it was, uh, like, a huge, 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 huge amount of pressure. Um, and I, I just cracked. I just cracked. I, used to, was, I think there was one night I went home and I cried. I don't know. Uh, but there are times when there's a lot of pressure put on people, and you have to kind of step up. And if you step up and you make things work, when you, when you get the project done, under time, under budget, 
you're a hero. If you have something to do and you fail, you're a zero. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants to be around you. Okay? And this is, this is um, uh, kind of what's going on, and, and you know, to tie it into what we, were, what we were praying for with what happened with all the stabbings. This is what's going on in schools. Kids are under a lot of pressure. Okay? Kids are under a whole lot of pressure that should not be. I mean, there are kids that, that this, is, this is what I'm hearing, say that I take so much time to pick out what I wear to school, some because I want to fit in. I want to fit in with everybody else, so I got I to gotta wait and make sure, you know, other kids take that much time just so I don't get noticed. Because if they notice me, they're going to pick on me, and they're going to make fun of me. And there's all this pressure, and this is where the whole thing of, and you guys are aware of this, uh, bullying comes in, kids being bullied verbally, physically, all that kind of stuff, because they're under pressure to either conform. Some kids are under pressure, even if you're not doing the bullying, there's all this pressure to join in, to, to even if you're just standing on the fringes, to join in. Now, not today, but on another day, literally, maybe we should uh, do a series, because biblically... If you're a Christ follower, first and foremost, we have a mandate not to bully. You know, the Bible says, let nothing come out of your mouth except what is good and pleasing to encourage others. But we also have a mandate to stand up for the bully. The only reason we're here as Christ followers is because Jesus Christ stood up for us. And that, 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 again, that, that, that's for another day. But there's a lot of pressure on um, parents, too. Because parents are expected to, hey, i got to raise my kid. Society tells you to raise your kid this certain way, and if you don't, then they say you're a bad parent and, and all this kind of stuff. And um, last week I talked about, like, throwing shoes at your kids, spanking your kids, throwing shoes, tomato, tomato, same thing. Not that I'm encouraging you to, you know, hit your kids or throw shoes at your kids. I'm just saying that's, that's what happened to me. But there is a lot of pressure on people to do a certain thing or act a certain way or conform to a certain thing. And in the Old Testament, okay, uh, in the Old Testament, that is what happened to all these people we're about to read about. There was a lot of pressure on them to live out this faith that they were talking about. I mean, and more pressure than what is put on us today. I mean, there was extreme pressure to, hey, you can't just talk the talk. You have got to walk the walk. All right? So that's, and some of you are familiar with this chapter. It's called uh, the Hall of Heroes or the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, and we're going to walk through quickly, walk through quickly, uh, all of these, not all of them, but most of these uh, people and, and what they experienced. All right? So um, I'm not going to read through them. I'm just going to kind of shoot and summarize this uh, till we can get to the one verse that we're all going to read together. Okay? So in Hebrews chapter 11, but follow along because you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, page 852. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. There's one under your seat, left, right, front, somewhere around you. And if someone could turn on the lights so everyone could see and read, that'd be great. Okay. Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author of the book of Hebrews, he starts out defining faith. Okay? And the way that he defines faith, he says it's not blind faith. And how many of you have heard people say, you know, you Christians put your faith in this, you know, the wonderful Wizard of Oz that you can't see and you believe all these fantasies, maybe not like that, but there are people that say that. This is what he says. He says faith is not blind faith. And the way that he describes it, it's putting your faith in something that you know is there, but you just can't see it. 
And there are literally billions, not millions, billions of people who do that every day because how many of you have direct deposit of some sort? How many of you are willing to give me your account? Never mind. Okay, so here's what happens. When you have direct deposit, what typically happens is if today were payday for somebody, that means either at midnight or sometime or whatever, electronic check was sent, money was deposited into your account. Most of us will not go and look and call the bank and say, hey, was money deposited? We will just go spend that money as we need to because we have faith that it's there. We don't go look and tell the bank, show me my $500, $1,000 or whatever, show it to me first, now put it back in my account, and now I can go spend it. Nobody does that. If you do do that, you need a little bit of help because that's unnecessary. But that's faith. You're putting faith in something that you know, but you can't see. That's the same thing that we do. We put faith in, we can't see God, but we put our faith in him because we know and we're sure that he exists. Now, the author then, I love the way the fact that once he starts talking about faith, he talks about the invisible and he starts talking about the universe and not to get into the whole like Big Bang Theory discussion again, but... Um, if you're not familiar with the Big Bang Theory, is a theory that evolutionists say that the universe was created by a Big Bang. Um, it was by a guy named, uh, a Belgian priest actually, named George Lemaitre. He's French, so it's Lemaitre, but George Lemaitre. And um, some people say it was Edward Hubble from the Hubble telescope. He did it. Depending on who you read, some say this, some say that, tomato, tomato. No matter who you read says it, what they say is that there was nothing invisible nothing and I think one philosopher said that nothing is what rocks dream about nothing that there was nothing and then there was this bang that caused the universe and 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 that's what they say so they believe same thing we believe that there was nothing and then they believe there was a bang we believe that God spoke it but here's the interesting thing though we all believe that there was this invisible stuff and what the author says is that God then formed the universe out of what was invisible. He says that he took all that was this nothingness and then he spoke and created a universe with it. All right. And so then, then the author, the next thing the author talks about, he starts walking through uh, Christian history, which is actually, if you're, if you're with us on Tuesday nights, it's creative history. It's not just Christian history. Um, he starts talking about uh, Abel. And if you know the story, he says that, you know, Cain offered a sacrifice, it was rejected, Abel offered a sacrifice, and it was accepted. And he says that Abel offered a better sacrifice, but it wasn't based on just the sacrifice being better. He doesn't say that. But he kind of indicates that it was based on Abel being accepted by God. It wasn't just what was given. It was Abel himself. And then he talks about Enoch, and I don't know if you guys are familiar, but Enoch, in the Bible, it says that he walked with God, and then he disappeared. And he said, the author says it was his faith that made God literally say, hey, Enoch, you know what? We're going to skip that whole death thing to you. No need for you to die, but I want you with me right now. You know, he says, I'm, I'm not going to wait. You don't, I'm not going to, you know, skip the whole death part. Just come and be with me right now. Then the author talks about Noah, and you guys are familiar with Noah. Did anyone actually go see the movie, the, the Noah movie? Okay. Is anyone going to see it? Because I don't want to throw any spoilers out there. Okay. If you do, there are these huge rock transformers that are awesome. They don't appear in the Bible. They do show up in the movie, and they're cool. 
not biblical, still cool. Okay, but uh, he talks about Noah, that Noah built this huge ark. He built, like, a, uh, for that time, like a carnival cruise line ship with just him and his family, uh, no Home Depot, okay, no union workers, just him and his family chopping down trees and building it. And he did it because of his faith in God. That's huge. All right. This wasn't like the good ship lollipop. I mean, this was a tremendous. And if you look at the Bible, it gives you all the uh, uh, specifications. Then he talks about Abraham. If my clicker will, there you go. And I don't know if you can see this up here, but at the top, this is this is like the the whole Jewish history, okay? And it starts with a man named Abraham, and he talks about the fact that Abraham left his home. Now, this was a society that was very like Brady Bunch based, you know what I mean? Family, 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 all together. Family breakfast, family lunch, family dinner, family vacations consisted of going to visit other family. I mean, that's it was strong family, but Abraham left his family and moved to the desert by himself because God said so. Just on his faith in God. We can't get our kids to get up for school in the morning, but yet he just, you know, he said, I'm going to leave everything behind just because of his faith in God. Now, Abraham's wife, Sarah, um, she, it says, gave birth and was enabled to, depending on which version of the Bible you read, some of it says uh, enabled to, some of it says she was empowered to, but it was literally the word for power is the same word that we, it's the word dynamos, I may be mispronouncing it, it's where we get our word dynamite, and whenever it's used in the Bible, it's an indication of explosive power. And it's usually an indication of the Holy Spirit working through someone. That's the power that enabled a 90-year-old woman to give birth some of you have not yet reached 90, but you're not looking to give birth or milk or change diapers. or You don't want to go through that again. But at 90, she did, and it was because of faith in God. Now, then it says the Bible, if you're looking, walk again through the book of Hebrews, it says that Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice because of his faith in God. And I have had people tell me, and I don't know if you've had people tell you, what kind of sadistic God would tell someone to sacrifice his kids? And, and here's my rebuttal to that, because let, let me talk to the dads. Dads, have you, and soon to be dads, if you haven't done it yet, you will, have you ever stood on this, you know, in the pool with your child on the side and with your hands out, say, jump? To you, you're like, jump. What is the holdup? To them, you're asking them to jump out of a plane into the river. That, that's their view. From your perspective, I know how this turns out. There's no harm, no foul. God knew that he wasn't going to allow him to sacrifice his son. So from God's perspective, it's not sadistic. Let me, let me take it a step further because I've done this. And don't send me emails if you haven't. But uh, how many dads, and don't raise your hand if you haven't told your wife you did this, but how many of you have like, instead of standing on the side, you just took your kid and threw him in the pool? That's, you're going to learn how to swim. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And you threw him in the pool. Now, you knew you were going to go, hopefully, we're going to go in after him, right? And, and, and you knew that he wasn't going to drown. But from your perspective, you're thinking, I got this. Nothing, no harm is going to come. From God's perspective, he's thinking, I got this. No harm is going to come. It's, it's, it's all going to work out. So to those people that are standing saying, what kind of sadistic God could, could do this? I'm thinking, 
I've done the, I've asked my kids and other people to do things that they thought, you know, this is going to end in tragedy that I know everything's going to be all right. Okay? And then um, here's the thing. Isaac, it says, Isaac by faith blessed his sons. Now, this is pretty cool because Isaac, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Okay? Abraham had other kids, and you can see other family members, but uh, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and where do you think, where do you think Isaac learned his faith from? He learned it from Abraham and Sarah. Now, this is for the, that was for the dads before, this is for the moms. Moms, if you are 90 years old and give birth to your son, don't you think you're going to tell him about it? You know, I was 90 years old. I didn't have any Tylenol. I didn't have my, my, my pillow was a rock and I gave birth to you. Yeah, you're going to let him know that he was born by faith and the power of God. You're going to make sure he knows every single day. And so he learned his faith from his parents. And then he had children and Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Excuse me, Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob, it says, blessed his kids while he was on his deathbed. And if you read through in Hebrews, it says he like got up and leaned on his staff while he was on his deathbed. It was that important to him that he verbally bless his kids. And let me, let me add a side note for us that are parents, because sometimes we have to tell our kids no a lot. We have to lay out rules a lot. But let me just say for every no and for every rule, let's put a positive blessing. Let's put some praises out there. Because today, I mean, turn on the news. Our kids are literally fighting for their lives just by going to school. And I know we think that's that community or that's that community, or that other community, and that's what they thought too, until it happened to them. So it doesn't hurt to just some praises and some blessings to our youth, because uh, they literally need it. Okay? Then it says, Joseph, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of uh, Jacob, Jacob had 12 children that became the 12 tribes of Israel, one of whom was Joseph, and it says that Joseph, who, who was, you know, you've heard the, the prince of Egypt, Wrong story. But Joseph uh, went down to Egypt, and he was the one who kind of got the families down into Egypt because he provided food for them when there was like this great famine all over the world. And here's what he did. It says in Hebrews that Joseph prophesied that, hey, we're not going to be here forever. That God is going to get us out of Egypt. And when he does, Joseph said, take my body with you. And the Bible says, we were looking at this either last Tuesday or Tuesday before, that literally 430 years later to the day, it has the words 430 years later to the day that the Israelites walked out of Egypt in freedom from slavery and they carried Joseph's body with them. And Joseph only knew that because of the faith that he put in God. And then, of course, it talks about Moses. Um, Moses was the one who led them out. The only reason he was able to lead them out is because when he was a baby, there was an edict. The Egyptians were so afraid that there's too many Israelites, and if we ever get into war, they could just turn on us. There's like a million of them. They could easily turn on us and help our enemy. So they started enslaving them, and then they started killing them. They said, every male that's born, kill it. 
And what happened was, it says that his mom, Jochebed is his mother's name, and the father, whose name I cannot remember, um, that they, when they saw the baby, that they said, hey, God's got, I see in this child what God sees in this child. And so rather than obey the government, they obeyed God and they hid him. And then you get, you know, the whole uh, Ten Commandments stories. And then Moses, you know, uh, before he was off parting the Red Sea, he was literally the prince of Egypt. He was set to be the ruler. And what it tells us in the Hebrews is that he left the palace. He left the money. I mean, he had like a PlayStation in every bathroom. He had like three or four cars, you know. He had a servant for every meal of the day. And he left all of that behind because he wanted to be, and it literally, if you read it in Hebrews, it says this, he would rather, his determination was, I would rather be with Christ and on the side of Christ and do the things of Christ than have a temporary crown that's going to waste away. And so he made the decision, hey, I'm out of here. I'm not going to hang out and, 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 and do the palace thing. And then once they left Egypt uh, and, and they were in the desert uh, for 40 years after 40 years, uh, you guys are probably familiar with the story of the walls of Jericho and how the walls came literally down by faith. There, it, there, was, there, wasn't, there wasn't like a, 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 um, explosives. They didn't have a SEAL team go in and like put explosives all around it. They just walked around marching and the walls came down by faith. And the only, only one who survived when they took that city was what the Bible tells us. And Hebrew tells us was a, and the Bible uses the word prostitute, the actual word. uh, It can be translated harlot, prostitute, whatever. But it's a word where we get our English word pornography from. So whatever promiscuous lifestyle she had, she was the only one who put her faith in God and was the only one, her and her family, who made it out. Just because she had faith in God. Now, this is the kind of faith that these people had. I know we're running short on time, but let me share this one story with you, and I hope I can remember it right. And it's one of these stories that you see circling around the internet, which means it's true. Yeah. And, and it, there's a, I heard a pastor tell it. And he, he was, I guess, used to being on the West Coast, lived on the West Coast in Hawaii, uh, came to the East Coast. And because of the time difference, I think it was at a conference, because of the time difference, he went down to a diner because, you know, it was like midnight or one o'clock. But for him, it was only nine or ten, three hours earlier. So he wasn't used to going to bed that early. And at the diner at 1 a.m., what would happen was all of the local prostitutes from that area would come into the diner they would get something to eat, and then they would be out on the streets by 2.30 because that's last call. 2 o'clock, last call, so they'd be out on the streets. What happened was, over time, over a couple of days, and I think it was there two, three days or whatever, but over time, uh, he's you know, talking to them because he's a pastor, and that's what he does and all that stuff. And he finds out that one of the women, one of the prostitutes, has a birthday coming up. And so he tells the, 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 the chef, the owner, the cook, of the diner. He's like, hey, tomorrow night, it's my last night here. How about if I buy a cake, will you let us present it to the prostitute? Now, the owner of the diner obviously knows her because they're in there every night. He's like, sure, why not? So they buy this cake 
and 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 they when the, when the all the women come in on the final night, they're ordering food and they order all the regular stuff, and he doesn't bring anyone their food. And after a few minutes, they're like, "Hey, what's going on? Where's our food? What's going on?" And he brings out covered this cake and he sets it in front of the woman, and she's like, "What's this?" And he's like, "This is." for you. This is what you ordered. And she pulls the top off and it's a cake. And everyone's like, oh, happy birthday. You know, normal kind of, they don't make her stand on a chair like we do, but everyone's like, oh, happy birthday, all this stuff. And she starts streaming tears down her eyes. And she's like, I've never, ever had anyone celebrate my birthday. And they Everyone's kind of like, well, okay, we don't know what to do with that, but let's cut the cake. And she's like, no, can we not cut the cake? And everyone's like, why? She's like, because I want to take this home and remember it because no one has ever done this for me. And she literally puts the cover on and she walks out. And everyone's kind of sitting around silent like, what, 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 do, what do we do with this? And so the, the cook, the owner guy, he says to the pastor, he's like, well, what do you do now? I mean, has this ever happened before, you know, in your workplace or whatever you do? He says, well, I'm a pastor. I've never done this before. And then everyone stops there like a pastor. It's like, what kind of denomination are you from? Because this is kind of out of the usual. First of all, that you'd be up at, you know, middle of the night and that you would get a cake for a prostitute, what kind of denomination? You know, because we know there's all these denominations. And his response is, I'm from the denomination that has a God that would get a cake for a prostitute at 2 o'clock in the morning so she knows she matters. And according to the story, he was able to share the gospel with several people that night who put their faith and trust in God because he bought a cake for a prostitute. That's the kind of faith that all of these people that we've been talking about, where they were under pressure, hey, you're telling that you're talking a lot about God, but you can't just talk the talk. You got to walk the walk. That's the kind of faith that they had to demonstrate every single day. And if you finish reading through Hebrews, it says that their faith was so strong that when they were attacked by lions, they were able to shut the mouths of lions. That, that dead people were raised back to life. That whole cities were conquered just because of their faith. And this is the kind of faith that when you get to today is Palm Sunday, that when you get to today, that the, the passage that we're familiar with in, uh, I think, Matthew, uh, Mark, and John, about everyone raising the, the palms, this is the kind of faith they were hoping for. This is what they were expecting. I'm going to ask the ushers to come up. You guys can come up and um, take some of these palms. Here's what I want you to do. Just take them and, and pass one out to everyone. And I'm going to share a, a, a passage of scripture while you, goes pass, while you guys pass us out. In the book of Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and John all record uh, this passage of scripture that you guys are familiar with. And we're going to read this together in a minute. It says, the crowds that went ahead of him, meaning Jesus, on this Palm Sunday, his triumphal entry, that went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
And we've sang, how many of us remember we sing that song, Hosanna, and we, we sing it and we shout it, and that's not quite what happened. That's not exactly the way it was. So as the band comes up, I'm going to ask the band to come up here and... Uh, we're going to spend just a moment or two in prayer because I want to show you this passage of verse that we're going to read again. The word Hosanna literally means save us. And even though we have it in our heads and we sing the song Hosanna in the highest, and we have it in our heads that they're singing save us to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest, and we sing it in this happy way. In the complete Jewish Bible, it gives us the Jewish iteration of what they were saying. The crowds ahead of him and behind him shouted, Please deliver us to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You in the highest heaven, please deliver us. They were literally begging and pleading. It wasn't a happy joy, joy like, woohoo, yay. It was more of a, please deliver us from the state that we are in, which is separated from God. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to read this with me, and then we're going to spend just a moment in prayer. Read this with me. Ready? The crowds ahead of him and behind him shouted, Please deliver us to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai, which is the Lord. You in the highest heaven... Please deliver us. So I'm going to ask you guys to just, just stand up for a minute. And traditionally what happens is we wave these and we're singing, Yay, Hosanna in the highest. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Only wave it for one of two things. One is you know that God has delivered you. You know that the, the, the day that we're celebrating this is... Jesus coming in, Palm Sunday, was a day of him coming in. It's triumphant, not because he was coming as king, because he was coming as savior. Or here's the other reason to raise it, is because you know that there are people in your home, in your school, in your circle of influence, in your life, that are literally yelling out, please deliver us. And if you don't know that, turn on the news. Everywhere around us, even the people that say there is no God, in their heart of hearts, are hoping and praying that there is. Because that means that deliverance is possible, salvation is possible, and something better than this exists. So I'm going to just ask you to hold that up, and we're going to bow our heads and pray. God, as we hold these up, we know, we know, we know that we live in a world that desperately needs your salvation. That we live in a world that is literally crying, even though they deny it to themselves, please deliver us. Please save us. Please remove us from the state that our world is in, God. And we know that we have family. We know that we have friends. We know that we have neighbors. We know that we have kids in school. We know that we have teachers in school. We know that we have administrative people and government people that are all desperately crying out and praying that there is a God who can deliver this world from the state it's in. God, so as we wave these, 
we also cry out, please deliver us. We also cry out, thank you for saving us. And thank you for overcoming the world. God, we pray that next week as we celebrate the way that you overcame, that we would do so with a heart of gladness and joy and that we would share that joy with others. God, we ask that you would bless us as we leave. And we pray all these things in the matchless, priceless name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we wave these palms, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.